This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, hey, welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, so if you like Ozpol Shitposting memes and Facebook, that's the group for you. My name is Zach Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum. Hey everyone, I'm Noon. Welcome back to another episode of Ozpol Snack Pod. Welcome back indeed. We are recording this early in the week because I am characteristically away this weekend. Um, so we're, 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 we wrote notes for this on what? Wednesday, recording this Thursday morning. Probably some news is going to happen between now and the Sunday on which we release this episode. So, you know, forgive us if we miss one or two uh, news stories in the meantime. But even in this little half week, still too much damn news, Noon. Yeah, it's true. It's it's all been happening. We're, we're also in this half week, we've got some new patrons, which is very exciting. So shout outs to G Money, um, who, listen, why are you Thank signing you, up? Money. Yeah, why are you setting up to our Patreon? <laughs> Come on. Uh, you, you know why you shouldn't be doing that. Everyone else, please sign up to our Patreon. Uh, Rob's also signed up, so thank you. And Cal increased his pledge, so thanks, guys. That's all super sweet. That's lovely stuff. Oh, yeah, and I just wanted to say, you know, I've had a patchy couple of weeks. Yeah. I was away and stuff. Um, so people who signed up for $10 or more over on Patreon, your special limited edition snack pod enamel pins with a little toasty guy, I'll be posting them soon. Normally, I'm a bit more kind of... Um, expeditious with those and just be thankful that i'm not in charge of the pin situation or it it'd all be shipping out around 2023 (laughs) removed noon from the pin shipping process yeah yeah Um, all right cool i i guess the other thing is uh i'm not recording in my usual audio setup this week um i'm recording downstairs in my uh like living dining room i guess um for reasons that I will get into at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> That's an exciting teaser. That's really going to help people stick around for the full hour. Okay, let's get into our first story, Noon. Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, so before I, I tell you about coronavirus, I just wanted to mention that I get that Fuck the Corona song stuck in my head at least two or three times a week, especially because like doing this show, I sit down, I have to type the word Corona like 12, 15 times. And it, this one's going out to the fucking Corona. Everything yeah, he says is all the, about the, the Corona. corona. <laughs> yeah. So, it's so good. Uh, it's a really good track. Yeah. So it's not really news, but it it's definitely coronavirus all right but but what is news is that um there's vaccine shenanigans um maybe we should no i know yeah yeah (laughs) come on man we're getting another round of vaccines um (laughs) uh yeah so i've had one shot i don't know if i can have any more i'm getting side effects no come on man we're getting an astrazeneca shot elon musk (laughs) told me the second dose is bad for you man 
yeah, so as I mentioned last week, we're roughly 3.3 million vaccines behind our goal of 4 million vaccines by the end of March. <laughs> Maybe that was the April Fool's last week, was that they were like, oh yeah, 4 million. <laughs> um, yeah. I like that you just reused that joke as well. The, I mean, it was funny both times. The April Fool's one? No, the, um, <laughs> that we're 3.5 million <laughs> oh, yeah. behind our target of 4 million. Well, they keep, it's, yeah. it's weird, all of the reporting and all of the government presses and stuff about this they're like yeah well we're close to, we're, we're, we yeah, were nearly at our end totally of march track, guys. target but it's like we're, we're ever increasingly far away from march like it's we're well into <laughs> april at this point why are you still t- well we're nearly at our march goals no one gives a shit and also no you're not okay we still haven't reached our first million anyway the government the this the, the news this week has been about the government trying to blame our lack of vaccinations on the European Union for not exporting enough doses. Um, the European Union, even when it was the Australian government, I always knew it was the European Union. <laughs> totally, yeah. Uh, and, and like the the EU has said, yes, there was a quarter of a million doses that Italy was meant to ship to Australia, but then didn't. That was the only shipment of vaccines that Australia didn't receive from Europe. Uh, so 3.3 million vaccines. You can see vaccines. how we're 3.5 ba- million behind. It, it, yeah. Well, 3.3 million behind. So quick maths, minus 250,000 is 3.05 million doses that haven't happened for other reasons. Um, <laughs> and interestingly, I thought, uh, the government for the most part was very carefully trying to avoid specifically answering questions on this. There's a lot of word mincing going on. So for example, Scott Morrison mm. said, so it's not an exact quote, but it's very similar. We're 3 million doses short. We've ordered doses from overseas. And of course the situation is worse there. The supply has been frustrated, which sounds like he's really trying not to say they didn't send us 3 million doses that we ordered. Um, I mean, he just has to imply it. He has to really heavily and, imply it. And not yeah. actually address the problem. Um, yeah. And the, bada-boom, Scott Morrison lives to fight another day. The most direct quote that I could find was him saying, there were over 3 million doses from overseas that never came. Which I guess technically is true, even if he didn't order them, right? Like, there's clearly at least 3 million doses overseas that haven't come to Australia. Whether or not we ordered them unclear so maybe he's mincing his words deliberately maybe there are legitimately were millions of doses that we've ordered that haven't arrived i don't trust the european union officials particularly <laughs> but compared to scott morrison i'm definitely going with the eu is telling the truth and he's lying on this one that's my guess um yeah, yeah i i would lean the same way mm. yeah uh, another little vaccine shit fuckery is that GPs have been angry that they've been getting like really tiny numbers of doses. Uh, a lot of GPs have bought really big like chest freezers to store the Pfizer vaccines at the right temperature, and then have had like twelve vials to put in the shop. And there's all these <laughs> photos of like GPs looking concerned next to these big fridges with like one tiny little. <laughs> I box can see on one the shelf. ABC Human Interest story already. Totally you painted a picture for it, me. They've yeah. had to cancel a bunch of appointments that people have made. Uh, they've had to not give people a second dose. Like there's a bunch of. Yeah, shit. this is that's genuinely bad. This really that's definitely you know, <laughs> not the e- European Union's fault. Yeah, and this, <laughs> you know. I feel like the last few times we've covered Corona stuff, it's been kind of jokey because um, it's just about the, you know, the headline is government fucks up, mm. refuses to admit, uh, which is, you know, generally entertaining and it's kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. But, uh, 
people not getting the vaccine, it's not good. No. <laughs> it's bad stuff. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's other stuff. You know, there were only 34 vaccines done in the entire state of Queensland over the Easter long weekend. That's bad. Uh, yeah. um, people are getting blood clots. Also bad. The Froger is also cursed. Exactly. Yeah, it's no good. And stored in the wrong type of freezer. Yeah, okay. All right. That's, that's <laughs> it for Coronas. Let's move on. Alright, uh, well, it's a classic, not really a positivity corner, positivity corner. Um, Noon and I really, like, this is the hardest story to, the hardest segment to find a story for every week. Also because it's, like, Um, one of our ones that we have decided to do every week because everything's so awful, we're like, mandatory pause corner, but then we're like, oh, yeah. but but then we have to find something that's not terrible. (laughs) Find a positive thing that has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, setting ourselves up for failure. So, okay. But anyway, squint and maybe uh, this will be positive for you. So the Victorian government has introduced minimum standards for rental properties that have come into effect as of the end of March. Um, So, you know, this is kind of positive because uh, everybody likes to have a working toilet, but also it's making landlords sad, apparently, which is good. But also... Are they actually sad? Because all of the discourse around this on Twitter and elsewhere is focused around this one particular article from Domain, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with the nine papers uh, property section, which is like the only part of the paper that actually makes any money. So it's basically its whole own thing now. Um, But so, you know, everybody's like, oh, landlord, the, the article is basically like, oh, landlords are really worried about these minimum standards are going to be super expensive and so they're selling their investment properties but then the article doesn't actually reference or interview a single landlord Hmm. um so well look i'll get into it anyway so the beginning of the article also points out that quote many of the new minimum standards for rentals were just formalizing what was already in place so a lot of this stuff isn't even new to begin with um (laughs) Uh, the requirements are just, like, so fucking basic. It's just basically, like, listing the ingredients of a functional house. Like, the absolute right, bare right. minimum stuff that you would need to collect if you were, you know, building a house for your Sims or whatever. So, so the, uh, the some of the uh, requirements are doors should have locks that work. Mm-hmm. There should be rubbish bins. Mm-hmm. Toilet must have, quote, pipes that carry the sewage to a treatment plant that does seem useful bathroom yeah how how are landlords ever going to keep up bathroom should have hot and cold water there has to be a kitchen there should be lights <laughs> and <laughs> heating <laughs> like what man yeah there should be lights and heating sorry for dante's interruption um uh, so yeah, this do- this domain article interviews three, no landlords, but three CEOs of real estate companies who are the only sources for claims like landlords are rushing to sell. This is raising fears of fewer available rentals. Wait, like, why would there be fewer available? Re- like, cause they can't rent out their like crap shack houses that don't have locks. So you can't well, like, rent them anymore. Like. Okay, so here's a quote from the CEO of Stockdale and Lego, okay. a, uh, a real estate company. Many of them are really in tough situations, landlords, that is, 
And people think that because they are landlords, they have a fancy car and lots of cash when they could be 100% reliant on their rents to pay the mortgage. They're living hand to mouth. All of this is going to make it harder for tenants because there will be fewer properties and rents will go up because of it. Um, so there's a few things in there. One, um, I love the idea. This is going to make it harder for tenants. Oh, yeah. Nothing makes life harder than a functional toilet. Oh, it's so awful. I, I hate it when the <laughs> yeah. landlord has to make sure I have lights in my house. I hate pressing a button and having all my waste run away out of sight into a, a sewage treatment plant. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, also, okay, let, let me, let's accept the premise of these hand-to-mouth landlords. Yeah, who, by the way, which... that's my hand and their mouth. Um, um, but, like, the, the, the only solution, apparently, to this problem is renters have to live in shit houses. Yeah. Good, good system, guys. I yeah, there's definitely Genius. no alternative option there. Um, yeah, so the theory is that I think that basically landlords sell to people who then live in the house, and so therefore there's less rental properties on the right, market. Right, right, but then people like will what... have houses. Yeah, I mean, no, or like, I, I don't or think like maybe any the... of these real estate CEOs are speaking in particularly good faith. No, I mean, no definitely not. But I mean, look, if, if I was one of these landlords living hand-to-mouth, and I just discovered I was going to have to install a functional toilet, and it would ruin my budget for the quarter, like, the solution isn't cease renting it's sell it to a landlord with more capital so that they can put in a toilet and then rent it out like i don't think yeah, uh, these like, ceos i'm sorry really man, understand market at all yeah like, if like <laughs> having a window that locks is going to break the bank for you maybe this isn't the kind of investment you should have man uh-huh maybe you should be maybe you should just, be selling just that buy shit. some bitcoin you know you don't have to install toilets uh like <laughs> Um, so I've got a couple of other CEO quotes here right, that I, uh, right, I wanted to it. point out. Here's one from the CEO of Barry Plant. There is a lot of angst because of the increase in processes and procedures, like the gas and electricity checks. So there's a lot of questions. One of the new requirements is that gas and electricity have to be checked once every two years. Damn, so much paperwork as a landlord. I'm just drowning in it. Uh, once every two I mean, years, look- I have to get a guy to come and check the... <laughs> Fucking switchboards. You know, it would just be really much better for my budget if the gas pipes fell apart and then caused a fire and then it burnt down the house. I think that would really be good inv- for my investment portfolio. It's just business. It's just it's coming just straight to- business. <laughs> Cold hard business. Um, there was also like, so the, the kind of general thrust of the article on Domain is like, Oh, there's a run on the property market now. Like everybody's trying to sell because of this new these these new regulations, um, which is garbage uh, in the first place. But then the CEO of Ray White also kind of admits that maybe people are selling their houses because house prices are fucking ridiculous right mm-hmm. now. That <laughs> people can sell that shit for an enormous profit. But impossible to say which is true. Um, uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, notably there are no quotes from like landlords, which I wouldn't necessarily be trusting their opinion anyway. But it's like all of this information is coming from people. I happen to know we in the real estate business. Uh, I happen to know we have a number of listeners who enjoy the Landlords Australia Facebook group. So if you listener are hanging out in there, please let us know what's 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 the word on the on the street. True, the landlord. I could have street. just gone straight to the fucking source. I've and, uh, thought about go. joining. That's why I'm, I just can't be. Bothered. I don't refer to myself as a journalist. I'm in enough yeah. horrible <laughs> groups already. I'm in like a bunch of Christian <laughs> meme groups and like all this other shit. I'm like, uh, I don't need landlords on top of that. 
<laughs> um, uh, I will say this, though. There is one quote in the article from a non-real estate CEO, mm-hmm. uh, and that is from a renters and housing union representative named Jesse Francis. Nice. Uh, awesome. So I'll just close out... Um, with 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 a quote from from the from the Rahu rep because um, it's good. Outsourcing housing provision to the private market was a mistake. Housing is a human right, but we turned it into an investment opportunity. If landlords are genuinely selling up in Victoria, the government could take this opportunity to fix the ten-year public housing wait list and put an end to homelessness by acquiring these pop- properties for public housing. Yeah, good idea. Um, <laughs> there you go. Probably didn't need me rambling about other shit for like five minutes when that was a nice and concise. That's one of the really nice things about Rahu existing is that they can, you know, now these the journos writing these uh, like pro landlord articles kind of have this like sort of go to representative to get an actual good perspective totally. on it. Albeit a very short quote at the very end of the article in this case, but you know. I think it's really good that Rahu exists. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the moral of this story. True. So there you go. That's Maybe that's the positive, positive corner. For your positivity yeah, yeah, yeah. Corner. yeah. All right. That's probably enough of that. Let's uh, move on to our First Nations story now, Noon. Yeah. So this one is uh, another really sad, horrible story. Um, on Good Friday, a farmer named Adrian McMaster used a front end loader to damage an indigenous heritage site that's estimated to be about 1,500 years old. Um, he was trying to get to the other side of the paddock to spray pesticide and thought it would be easier to move the stones than to get the pesticide sprayer, like, around them. Um, he claims not to have known that they were sacred. Uh, he said that he did know there were some sacred rocks around, but wasn't sure which is which. And, like, I don't understand that goes, the, the, the logic that goes from, like, some of these rocks are sacred to, it's fine to damage these rocks. Wait! These rocks. Wait, I do understand that logic. It's the basis that the whole country runs on. Um, yeah, and like, uh, I haven't been able to confirm this, but someone in Ospol shit posting um, said that they'd heard that this guy, uh, uh, an architect, had come and spoken to him and was like, "Hey, these rocks are important," and he told them to quote "fuck off." Uh, I haven't been able to confirm that uh, claim, so not a hundred percent about that. But yeah, um, would it in any way be surprising? No, not even slightly. There you go. Um, here's a quote from National Native Title Council CEO Jamie Lowe. We just think not again, and when are laws in this country at a state and commonwealth level actually going to protect Aboriginal heritage? There's sorrow mm. within the community. You're losing something that your ancestors, your old people have created. They tell us stories. They connect us to country. Incidents like this, it's left up to, it's left up to people telling people, you know. This person is telling that person, and we know with the looseness of that, destruction occurs. Heritage being destroyed because people plead the ignorant card and they don't know about it. Uh, so that last bit, um, it's left up to people telling people. Um, this is in reference to the farmer who, who destroyed this site. Um, he said that his dad had been running the property and he only took over a couple of years ago and hadn't been told by his dad who, who died not to do it, right? And so that's what he's saying. Like, It's left up to like just random people telling other random people like, oh, don't destroy this thousands of years old rock site um and it doesn't happen and then it gets destroyed so this site is called kuyang which is a local word for eel uh and the rocks are in the shape of eels i I couldn't actually find a a pre-destruction photo which is really disappointing i'm sure there are some out there but listeners if you have seen any please send them through because i'm fascinated i was just spent like half an hour on google earth trying to find them but couldn't couldn't see it um but the rocks are in the shape of eels, uh, uh, about 180 meters long. 
um, and it's thought that they showed the life cycle of eels. Um, and this dude, Adrian, has destroyed as much as 60 meters, right? So, like, a third of this site has been just, like, bulldozed out of the way. Jesus Christ. Um, the rocks are all sitting in a heap in his paddock, um, and it seems like they're going to be restored to the best extent that they can be um, with, like, you know, the, the local uh, elders and so on, you know, leading that, and there's already been a delegation of elders to go and look at the damage and to look at what might be able to, to be restored. Um, but these sites are all built with a huge amount of knowledge, and that a lot of that has been lost in, like, since colonization, right? We've destroyed lives, we've destroyed languages, we've destroyed song lines. There's a bunch of traditions and information that are, are connected with these sites that are going to be lost forever because of this. Like, even if we get mm. it back, like, 95%, that uh, 5% is going to be losing information that we'll never know that we've lost. Uh, yeah. So, for example, these eel sites line up astronomically with the change of seasons, and they indicate the start of the eel breeding season. And this is a really common thing with, like, uh, historical rock sites, and, like, Stonehenge is a, is a good example of that. There's, like, thousands of others around the world, and, and in so-called Australia as well, that, that line mm. up with the stars and, and, and help people predict changes in seasons and so on. And and uh, this one, yeah, it showed the start of the eel breeding season um, uh, because there's a huge amount of eels there. It's eel country, uh, according to one of the local mob. Um, and the start of the eel season was a big festival that was hosted at the site. And, uh, you know, like hundreds of people from different nations uh, would all come and meet here at this uh, at the start of the eel season and have feasts of eels. They'd get married and trade and all this other stuff. So it was this big, like, mm. cultural events that happened on a yearly-ish basis. Yeah. Um, and this is a little bit more speculative as far as, like, knowledge in the site goes, but eels are extremely mysterious animals. Um, to this day, no one has observed a European eel breeding. Um, and for, You're like, <laughs> literally until, like, the 1900s, no one had seen an eel testicle. Uh, Sigmund Freud, before he became the Freud that we all know... He tried to find eel testicles, and he wrote these. He's written these letters about like, I cut open like so many eels. I just all night I have nightmares about eel guts spilling out, but there's never <laughs> any fucking testicles. Um, and eventually, some guy in like uh, like 1940 or something found eel testicles. Um, but they, whatever. The, the life cycle is extremely mysterious. And uh, look, I don't know heaps about eels. I don't know if native Australian eels are also that mysterious. Um, so any eel experts in the audience, please send us a potluck. Um, but there's a really, really good chance that there's a lot of information about eels in this rock site that we won't be able to understand until a century from now, Western scientists, heavy quotes, discover this information. And then we'll be like, oh, that's why those rocks were like that. You know, like, mm. um, and the, yeah. there's a bunch of things like that that are probably going to be lost literally forever um, as a result of this dude trying to spray pesticide. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. The maximum fine for this is just under $300,000. Um, and there's obviously comparisons with, you know, Rio Tinto, BHP, and Fortescue mining companies destroying heritage sites in the last 12 months. Mm. And I think... While it's important that we don't treat this guy as if he was Rio Tinto, he's also doing the same colonialism and genocide, cultural genocide, 
that those companies and yeah. that the entire fucking country is engaged in. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he feels crap about it, but he's like destroyed a literally irreplaceable artifact of the oldest continuously existing culture in the world that will never be able to be restored. And like, that's, that's a fucking cultural genocide. So yeah, come on this guy. What, what the actual fuck? Like, yeah. Um, I've got a couple more quotes here. One's from Eastern Ma Aboriginal Corporation Cultural Heritage Advisor, a guy called John Clark. Mm. And he said this, The Aboriginal community is really concerned about what's happened. It's sad, it's traumatic, and it certainly has a bearing upon members of our community. There are concerns that there haven't been many prosecutions since the inception of the current act. Sorry, that's the uh, Aboriginal Heritage uh, Protection Act. There have only been four prosecutions, and that, I think, with the amount of reports made to Aboriginal Victoria annually relating to possible harm to Indigenous sites, there's a general concern amongst traditional owners that the number of prosecutions is a little light on. Um, Which, yeah, sounds about right. Uh, And there's another quote here I've got from the Victorian First Peoples Assembly, um, who said that uh, the Assembly is distressed and outraged to hear about the destruction of precious cultural heritage. We understand Aboriginal Victoria investigating the situation and insist the culprits are met with the full force of the law. Traditional owners should be responsible for their own precious cultural heritage, not private land owners. This will ensure sites like the Kuyang Stone Arrangement are managed with the dignity and respect they deserve. I think that's right. Like, this family of white settlers has, quote, owned this land since, like, continuously since they, they stole it from the traditional owners. And, like, fucking give it back. Give it back. Give the whole fucking country back. But start with stone sites and, like, religious sites and then everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, all this other stuff it feels kind of intermediary, right? Like, prosecuting, punishing this guy or him taking responsibility for the artifacts in the first place. Like, you know, it's none of it is a substitute for land back yep. at the end of the day. Yep. All right, um, let's see the First Nations story. All right, time to move on now. You fucked up. Yeah, so this uh, is a couple of stories that we are lumping together under the title Andrew Van Lamming. Uh, thanks, Leah, for that one. Um, the first half of this story I'll take point on. Uh, this is about everyone's favorite poster, Adam Van Bester, a.k.a. Carmen Besker, a.k.a. Van Badham. We did have a bit of a... Uh, a Van Batten ban on the podcast for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, I, I don't really like, personally, I don't really love diving into ban discourse because um, eh, it like makes me vaguely uncomfortable. Like there's a definite misogynist undercurrent to a lot of the criticism of these kinds of like yeah. public feminists, even uh, when they are shit libs, such as Van Batten. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the uninitiated noon, how would you describe Van uh, she's an extremely online labor hack who writes columns for The Guardian. She's very, like, center-left, but claims to be, like, a far-left socialist. Yeah. I'd I would say, say that's pretty good. Yeah. That's about oh, she the hates the Greens. She hates the Greens. She hates for the Greens a lot. some she's good reason, ex- ex-green. but most of her criticisms are not well-founded, even though, like, her dislike of them might be. 
Yeah, it seems she had very bad personal experiences with the Greens. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that that's, uh, that's true. Uh, she's also a, a playwright. Is that's her right, like, yeah. technical day job beyond yep. being a columnist and um, a, a poster, big poster? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so this story is about, well, we've got competition for what has been one of the uh, most lasting catchphrases in Australian shitposting, Australian yeah. politics shitposting for the last... Uh, yeah, fantastic, great move, well done, Angus. Mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like we're we're we're, we're going to see that supplanted with something new. Um, so, I reckon most people listening to this podcast probably know what has gone on here. Yeah. Essentially, this is a story about Twitter. Generally speaking, I t- I try not to t- treat stuff that happens on Twitter as um, news per se, mm-hmm. but um, this is just uh, it's particularly funny. So. It's definitely within you know. the wheelhouse of our show as well, you know, like, we're, we're here for the memes, for the posts. <laughs> exactly. And look, there are probably other, you know, everybody, like, all the possible jokes have been made better than us, but let's give you a little overview. So basically what happened here is that Van waded into a posting war, which kind of, like, flares up uh, every now and again between the head of this labor-aligned think tank called Per Capita, this person's name is Emma Dawson, she constantly gets into shit fights with uh, Australian leftist Twitter posters, like most notably some like high profile members, past and present of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And the arguments generally are along the lines of uh, you establishment labor types are actually anti-poor and super condescending to us and don't support us in any kind of material way. And then people like Emma Dawson and Van Batam are like, you're splitting the left, we're the real left, you guys went to private schools and therefore all of your activism is fake. And also uh, you're supporting the Liberal Party. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's not really worth getting into beyond no. that, I don't think. No, it's uh, very silly and poorly founded and like, yep. Yeah, and, 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 and quite repetitive. Like the same, you know, every couple of months, this exact same thing flares up with the same kind of participants. Anyway, so part of this most recent conflict... I don't know why I tried to say the word conflagration, because even if I had pronounced it correctly, it would have sounded um, pretentious as fuck. Uh, Twitter fight, in this most recent Twitter fight, Van decided to go through old Instagram photos and posts looking for dirt on people that she was fighting on Twitter. This is um, from an, a member of us bullshit posting uh, who uh, posted about this in the group. So um, shouts for the insight there. And anyway, so the posting war gets deeper and deeper. Van's digging up dirt and people, <laughs> someone makes the decision basically to reveal information that has been known for a long time, mm. which is that Van Batten uses Many sock accounts, fake accounts, alts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but the best part about this is uh, she makes them like kiss and this this interact. line makes a lot more sense when you can see Zach's hand gesture. He's got two little like I'm sock like, puppets and he's making them kiss. So, I'm making like, the little you sock know, Ken and Barbie kiss. style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Van Batem is Ken and Barbieing her herself. Fake yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which is just very funny. Um, one of the best details about this is the, like, names. Like, just how, basically, how fucking obvious the breadcrumb trail is here. So, Van Batem's fake accounts, one of them, the be- my personal favorite is Adam Van Bester, which is a very fucking obvious anagram of Vanessa Batem with, like, an H removed or something. 
And the fucking profile picture is just a face-apped version of Van Batten's face with a beard on it. I, I have to say, I'm, as, as long-time listeners may know, I'm quite face-blind. And so I saw a lot of posts of, like, about Adam Van Besta, and I was like, I, who is this person? Do I need to know who this person is? <laughs> well, do, is this an Australian You politi- already do, Noon. I already did. But like, You're already uh, very familiar with Adam my, Van Besta. My point is that the face swap, uh, the, the, like, gender swap face app whatever was highly effective for me so i <laughs> i would not have i would not have twigged to this so van like you got a pass from me uh. <laughs> um there's another another one of her alters called carmen beska beska is the fictional metal that the mandalorians in star wars make their armor out of there's like a, a breadcrumb trail with van talking about needing to make herself a helmet it's just all okay. very like it's all, you know, people who uh, keep track of her like are just like you have known this for ages, and stuff got dirty enough in this um, most recent flame war that they decided to drop the info, and um, it's been hilarious. Anyway, so uh, just to give the people a little flavor noon um, mm-hmm. of what it looks like when <laughs> uh, a labor hack creates a couple of fake accounts and then writes fake dialogue between them on Twitter to convince people that they're real, uh, I thought we could do a little uh, Van Batten radio play. She is, after all, a dramaturg. Um, So I feel like that. I mean, uh, you want to be Carmen or Adam? Yeah, I'll I'll be Carmen. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, So this is uh, Carmen and Adam reuniting after years apart um, in action. At Adam Van Bester. Adam! With a beard! One retweet. Carmen! Yes, beard! I broke up with my bare face a while ago. Has it really been that long? I haven't seen you since... What? Humphrey's wedding? We got old. This is crazy. You think we're old? Kovach has four kids! <laughs> um, and then... Picture of Connect 4. I have to say, I read this little screenshot that you put in the notes like six times while you were talking, and it, it's much funnier saying it out loud. This, like, <laughs> what the fuck? This is... Uh, it's very, very funny stuff. Um, not least because, like, <laughs> the sort of central proposition from these, like, labor hacks, you know is that the Australian Unemployed Workers Union consists of privileged fake activists, basically. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where it's like, they're not real activists like Van Batten, who spends all her time running multiple accounts, making them talk to each other, digging for dirt on strangers on the internet to use in flame wars. <laughs> yep. But also, I mean, yeah, so Humphrey's Wedding, I, I reckon it's the new fantastic great move. Well done, Angus. Uh-huh. I haven't seen you since what Humphrey's wedding. I feel like we're going to nice. be seeing a lot of that. We'll make that happen. And people, and also people going, come on, which I have. If I ever meet Van Batten in person, it's going to take a, a, a huge amount of self control not to greet her like that. Uh, but Van is not the only. Or it, it, even the worst. No, she's um, in a fake a, poster in Ozpol this week. A distant second place. Um, mm, mm. Yeah, D- like yeah. really different leagues. Uh, yeah, I would say funnier, 
yes. the funnier of the two fake posting stories this week, but definitely the less egregious. Yeah, I mean, so the, the more cringe. At, at, actually, yeah, it may not even, yeah. even be true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's probably more cringe because I have higher hopes for Van Batten than I do Andrew Leeming. So mm. when he sucks, I'm just like, yes, accurate. Whereas when Van sucks, I'm like, I would prefer that you didn't. You well, know, it's, anyway, it's like the capability is there, but yeah. it, it's also a little bit like, okay, Van, you're using literally the same tactics as somebody who most people would agree is top five worst people in Australian politics. Like you guys are yeah. deploying basically the same shit. The difference being, obviously, that Andrew Lemming is an elected member of parliament, so him yes, doing this yes. stuff that's is much, much worse. That's going to be explicit come about this. Repeatedly, uh, as I cover this story. Let's move on. Andrew Lemming. Okay. Uh, he also fucked up uh, in a very similar way. Uh, Zach, you put in the notes here, political strife meter, besieged. <laughs> yeah, that was the first the first line in the Guardian article in this story. Besieged that... member of parliament, Andrew Lemming. Yeah. Uh, is that Which above is... or below embattled? I would say that it's, that that's above embattled. Okay. If you know besieged yeah, say... is like you, you're cornered basically. It's I feel after like the battle. Is, yeah. Yeah. One. It's one step below disgraced. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's still in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, not this week because uh, the Bowman MP who was on leave from Parliament to undertake empathy counselling following complaints about his behaviour towards women. Uh, yeah, so he's he's actually out of politics for a week or a two. Well, hell of a sentence. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, but but the, I mean, yeah, we we gave him the kind of sad fuck up of being an abusive creep last week. Uh, yes. But this week, it's the much funnier fuck up of being investigated by the Australian Electoral Commission. Um, well, basically, uh, so, the funniest thing that can happen to a politician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably the funniest thing the AEC could be involved with. So, <laughs> Could do, you know, yeah. As, as Elections generally, not that funny. Not too Investigating amazing, politicians, yeah. comedy gold. Yeah, so uh, there are potential breaches of electoral laws over more than 30 Facebook pages that he operates under the guise of community and education groups. Um, <laughs> if this is true, he faces a maximum fine of $26,000, i.e. less than uh, Stuart Robert internet bill. But, <laughs> you know, it's still a reasonable amount of cash. Um, so yeah, he set up these like 30 odd pages, uh, with a bunch, uh, like he's got a whole lot of them. Um, but many of them have names that are similar to local newspapers, um, and that represent themselves like independent and we keep a close eye on politicians and their promises. Um, I'm getting strong friendly Geordies vibes from this as well. You know how he was Oh uh, like, yeah, the common sense brigade. Astro- We're just Exactly. AstroTurfing of these local, these fake local groups. That kind of yeah position themselves to sound like news sources when they're right. just outlets for um, friendly Geordie's propaganda. See, Van Geordie's laming, you know. Well, like that's the not a good argument. Bad faith because <laughs> Van likes friendly Geordie's. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not an argument to stop doing it. No, but all of these bad faith actors have like you have the exact same playbook. Uh, yep. It's just that. Um, if you're a playwright, you do it much more funnily. <laughs> yeah, and like, look, I have roughly 30 pages and groups on Facebook, many of which it's not clear that I run. But I'm not an elected member of parliament using them to promote my party. Uh, yeah, and you're and not I, pretending not to be yourself. Well, I mean, 
I do admin the Planet America group, which a lot of people join thinking that it's a group affiliated with the ABC TV show Planet America. So, I mean, like, that's not too far off from uh, one page that he created. Uh, was, oh, uh, I don't have the name here. It's like the, um, the Redland City News or something instead of the Redland Bay News. I can't remember the exact <laughs> title, but, like, he's clearly very closely imitating specific organizations and groups. Yeah, yeah, right. Again, the difference between me running Planet America and him running these Facebook groups is that he's in Parliament and it's a crime. Um, <laughs> that's it. I think there is a small amount of hyperventilating going on in the, co- in the coverage. Uh, for example, one page that he created is called the Redlands Institute, and it's categorized as a, quote, educational institute. Um, and the Guardian reported on this, Andrew Lemming is posing as an educational institute, which kind of misunderstands how both Facebook and memes work, right? Like, Mm. a lot of pages are like, oh yes, I'm a government organization, and it's a joke because it's called, like, fat cat smoking blunts, or whatever, and it's like, clearly (laughs) this isn't a government organization. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Also, on this Redland Institute page the the third most recent post as of the time of me writing these notes was one being like look if the american election is stolen i'm not saying it was but if and it's like yeah oh yeah yeah oh he's really posing as an educational institute all right sure sure uh Uh, i don't know noon i feel like you're now you're the one giving people on facebook too much credit the type of shit that like if you're picturing his audience as having a large Venn diagram overlap with, say, Craig Kelly's audience. Yeah. Then, yeah, people being like, oh, Facebook has legally, officially categorized this as education. This post must be true. Also, conveniently confirms everything I already believe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, regardless of this educational institute thing, like, absolutely fuck this guy. Uh, Parliamentarians have to tell people when they're doing a propaganda. Um, that's why they had that fast talky guy at the end of ads, uh, yeah, authorized by the, like, in the, Canberra. Exactly, and the issue here is that none of these pages exactly. have the have Laming's authorization. So yes, you know, yeah, he is yes, you know, pretending he's he's astroturfing like he's astroturfing support for himself on social yep. media by pretending not to be himself, which is the only way that he could get support. Boom! Thank you nice. very much. Return to the snack. All right, mic drop. Next segment. Mo- Move on. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> uh, okay, so next we've got uh, worst takes and blurst takes. Ah. Oh. And I'm going to challenge you on one of these as well. Cool. Later. All right. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with the best. That's foreshadowing. Take. That's Chekhov's um, Devil's Critique. Advocate. Yeah. God, cool. that didn't really work, did it? All right, go on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, so first got a blessed take, and this goes to Jacqueline Maley. Uh, she's a columnist for The Age, I don't really know anything about her, but she wrote an article this week called, PM should kick Andrew Leeming to the crossbench. Here's why he won't. Um, she made a number of good points, and I wanted to specifically shout out the fact that she used the term sex workers instead of using slurs. So yeah, as I said, don't know anything about her, not a general endorsement, but good one, Jacqueline. Um, and, uh, it, the reason this is coming just after Leeming is that it starts off talking about gender quotas and makes this good point. Laming is a one-man sky banner advertising the falsehood of the so-called merit argument against gender quotas. If he's in Parliament on merit, then our democracy is even more buggered than we thought. And conversely, if the Liberals are pre-selecting superb jerks like him, then perhaps it's time (laughs) they did some blue-sky thinking in terms of their recruitment process. 
uh, I love superb jerk. I am. It's I. I'm putting that one in my pocket for later on. I I quite enjoy the like journalistic aggression here. Democracy is even more buggered than we thought. It's like wow. It's like Scott Morrison saying crap at a press conference. She's like, yeah. It's it's very well rap with you kids. It's yeah. very sitting backwards on the chair. That's the jur- the journalist's tip of the hat centrists. to let you know that I'm getting real with you now. Yeah, that's right. Democracy is even more buggered than we thought. Uh, but the actual blessed take goes to this extremely correct point that I took a photo of and put in the Ospol shitposting Facebook group. So I'm sorry this isn't new to some people, but I wanted I wanted to read this out because I really like it. Um, Just before we do that, yep. Who posted the meme that was like, uh, you know, regular Winnie the Pooh? Reading news articles. Fancy Winnie the Pooh. Reading photos of news articles posted by Nerd. Because <laughs> yeah. I want to give that one a watch the post of the week of our hearts to that. Totally, and also, yeah. um, I enjoyed your um, extended riff on that as Thanks. well. That was Ben Volchuk. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Ben. Shout and then ben. Uh, uh, Andrew Meow re- replied with another one where the final one is like supremely fancy Pooh reading Ben's memes. And then I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, Good posting. Anyway, Good. It's, it's quality the, stuff. why did you take a photo of this article, Nune? Okay, here's the quote. It seems clear the reason Morrison won't eject Lame into the crossbench is because he doesn't want to lose his government's one-seat majority, which he only holds because the Speaker can vote if necessary. Nonetheless, it's astounding Morrison has not kicked Laming out. At a moment when he's trying to convince Australians, he takes seriously the disrespect and harassment of women. Morrison has no legislative agenda to be threatened by an unstable working majority in the lower house. It seems he wants to hold on to his technical majority purely for the political optics of it. Mm. And I think that's a really good point. Because, like, mm. we've mentioned over the last little while about both um, uh, Andrew Laming and fucking Christian Porter that the government isn't going to reprimand them seriously. Because if they did, they would lose their majority and might no longer be the government. Um, and... I just really like this point because, like, that's just, like, widely accepted political wisdom is that you you don't give up your majority under any circumstances. And, like, it makes sense when you think about politics as, like, a bullshit game for rich people trying to be powerful and not a system for running a country. Makes perfect sense. Um, But, yeah, I thought Jack LaMaley's point that, like, he's not even actually trying to run the country particularly. He just literally wants the badge that says like I'm in charge. Uh, he doesn't hmm. want to do anything while he's in charge, so he's not. Lo- he's like not losing an ability to do anything in particular by firing Leeming, and like it would probably get him more votes that might result in an actual majority next election. Anyway, yeah. Look, and this is, I, it's it's an interesting point, and when I like you pointed it out to me, I was like, yeah, I think that is actually a really good take. And then when I was writing some other notes for other mm-hmm. sections of mm-hmm. this episode, I was like, huh, I wonder if I might push back on that a bit. So Please. let's park that thought later on. Come oh, back to it. Okay, all right. I'm this. You're really checking this. I'm I'm checking the fuck out of this dev, devil's advocate, and I'm really <laughs> flogging this <laughs> bit. That was dead to begin with. It's not getting any more live. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And before we finish up, I want to give a very brief blurst take. Uh, So according to Catherine Murphy in The Guardian, Scott Morrison's popularity with women has tanked 16% over the last little while, which, yep, that checks out. But in that same period, there's been a 12% increase in support for him from men aged 18 to 34. So blurst take is awarded to 
all of those men. I don't have anything funny or clever to say about that. It's just extraordinarily fucking upsetting. Yeah. That's just really, really bad. That's really bad. Cool. Well, uh, let's do shitpost of the week. Shitpost of the week. Yeah, this will make me feel better. <laughs> Hopefully it's not about fucking Nazi. Ah. Um, all right, so this one goes, to, goes out to Hill. Um... Shit poster extraordinaire. Okay, look, it's a little bit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self indulgent to Meta. award this to uh, like it's a meme of <laughs> a meme about the podcast. But hey, fuck it, uh, it's our show. It's we our do podcast. What we want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, this meme is uh, in reference to our uh, last week's conversation. We talked about. Um, Nazi shit, specifically Nazi shit being done by our premier Nazi, Tom Saul, and a commentary on Tom Saul by our premier anti-fascist commentator, Tom Tanneke. Two different Toms. Important to keep the Toms separate. This is a meme from Hill. Inside you, there are two Toms. You should probably see a doctor. The recommended amount of Toms in your podcast is zero, and he's done a very excellent, uh, highly detailed mm-hmm. Photoshop of Tom Sewell and Tom Tanneke's faces on uh, one of those, on those you know, wolves. two, yeah, yeah, two wolves. Um, and also, I wanted to give you a, give a runner-up shouts to um, Chris Ritchie who posted the, uh, you know, the clip from that Simpsons episode. No homers, we can have one, and it's a uh, Tom Tanneke. Yeah, well, he is yeah. the one. Yeah, he's the one yeah. that we're allowed in the podcast. Yeah. And I do think that this meme is a good... Um, it's not just about the podcast. It's really about Australia, you know? There are two Toms wrestling within yeah. the belly of this nation. One is a Tom Tanneke, one is a Tom Saw. And hopefully we can keep feeding the right Tom so that he uh, consumes the other Tom in utero. Mm-hmm. Um, these, the, in, this, in my metaphor, the wolves are in your stomach for some reason. I guess it's kind of well, the Well, in biggest. your uterus. Apparently. Yeah, or uterus. Yeah, stomach, uterus. You know, the belly. uterus that is Australia. Yeah, um, so uh, keep feeding the good Tom, keep starving the bad one, and uh, and we'll get there. Thank you, Hill. Congratulations on the ship post of the week. Uh, this provides also quite a neat little segue into a very underprepared segment that I like to call... Fashy Australia. It's underprepared for a reason, which is... Yeah, well, not I, very we much woke up to it. this news. Yeah. Yeah. Work up to it today, but uh, long story short, well, short story, even shorter, two South Australian men have been arrested for Nazi shit. Mm. Seems that they are connected to Tom Sewell's National Socialist Network. So I believe that the order of events here is that cops do a bunch of raids on like quite a few, like 15 or more National Socialist Network members. Tom Sewell complains about this on Telegram and then... Cam Wilson, reporter for Gizmodo and Business Insider and um, Twitter extraordinaire, go and follow him, uh, sees this on Telegram from Tom Sewell, rings up the South Australian police and is like, hey, did you arrest some Nazis this morning? I noticed you guys haven't put out a statement about that. Apparently the South Australian like police media department was like, oh, actually... <laughs> We don't know about anything like that. Uh, Let me run this up the chain real quick. So, uh, yeah, I mean, curious, strange that, like, 
an extremist terrorist who had an actual bomb. Did I mention the bomb? No, I don't you think didn't. I mentioned the bomb. One yeah. of the guys was a men- was arrested for having a fucking improvised explosive device. Yeah. The other guy was arrested for having a whole bunch of fucked uh, white supremacist uh, propaganda. Uh, yeah. So one of these Nazis was arrested for having a bomb. It's 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 real bad, you guys. These guys want to do violence, racist mm. violence. Mm-hmm. That's you know. The it's whole not. Thing. It's it's it, it's not just talk. Yeah, this is what we were talking about last week. Um, and yeah, there's been a fair amount of commentary on Twitter this morning. Weird that a terrorist with a bomb isn't getting more news coverage. Yeah. in Australia. I'm curious. And I, I wonder what the reason that could be. No, I can't think of a reason. Um, and also, just as a little fashy Australia addendum, uh, Peter Dutton is now suing people on Twitter for defamation. Hmm. Um, because he is a strong and handsome gentleman. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing like... that we could say about yeah, why. Yeah. It's ex- exactly. Um, uh, mostly this is around uh, people calling him a rape apologist um, because of his comments about the Brittany Higgins situation being a he said, she said situation, um, to quote Dutton. Uh, he's already... Uh, forced Larissa Waters from the Greens to post a public apology um, on Twitter. And apparently he's been sending, uh, yeah, legal threats in the mail to Twitter users who have been posting about him yeah, being a rape apologist, which, again... I'm going to tweet right now, Peter Dutton has smelly feet. I, I say go for it. I'm going to tweet, Peter Dutton is a strong and handsome gentleman. Um, and uh, maybe... I mean, it's like, if you're going to threaten people for saying bad stuff about you, shouldn't you also be consistent and send me nice things? Send me some chocolates, Peter. Mm-hmm. Send me some. Send me a frozen bag of potato goodies, some gems, some potato smileys. Haven't had those in a while. Um, it's little, kind of uh, fucked up, man. It's like asking it's really a bad. cow to send you hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah peter scra- lightly scrape the edges of your face freeze the peelings send them to me i'll cook them up into a nice hash and i'll post it to <laughs> i'll post it to twitter with the hashtag strong and handsome gentleman mm-hmm. um gem told me the potato gems anyway nice nice nicely done all right let's get off this terrible story and into a <laughs> potentially worse one <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, this it's not great. Um uh in fact, it's very bad. So uh I know nothing you, about you this mentioned... by the way. I'm coming in cold. Uh so yeah, listeners, I, I, I'm with you I here. Did, I deliberately want noon kind of cold for this story because I I want to I want to get that fresh hot noon rage on Mike. Um uh. but so I I want to kind of follow up uh on this continuingly on the new developments in this uh, NDIS story that's been playing out for a little while. So Noon, um, uh, I think it was two episodes ago in your one of your solo episodes, mm-hmm. you reported on um, leaked proposed changes to NDIS legislation. Um, and these, the, this, these are kind of like new developments in that story. Right. So, well, it's, well, I guess it's one development and then one kind of like extra deep dive into the thing we already know about. But let's start with the actual development. So, in the nine papers, it has been reported that a supposedly independent report into the NDIS has been revealed to have in large part been written by 
the National Disability Insurance Agency itself, aka the government department responsible for the NDIS. So this is a report that was published in 2019, referred to as the Tune Report after David Tune, who is the you know very senior public servant who supposedly wrote the report. Okay. Uh, but a bunch of emails and documents from the uh, National Disability Insurance Agency, NDIA, and the Department of Social Services have been released under freedom of information requests. And basically what they show is that people from within the NDIA drastically altered the report to align with what they wanted to happen with the NDIS. So is this that is supposed to be not what the point of the a report is, to be like, we should do this instead. It's supposed to be an independent report from outside the agency being like, this is an objective, uh, this is an objective look at what is and isn't working with this system. Uh And this is what we should do to fix it. And what happened was that the NDIA and it's like that people work for the NDIA were like, well, what we want to happen with the NDIS is X, Y, and Z. So we're going to put in these clauses to this supposedly independent report that are like, oh, yeah, you guys should totally do this thing. I see. Uh, the main thing being independent assessments. So this was something that was first brought to our attention by uh, Joe Nielsen of the Chronically mm-hmm. Fully Sick podcast. We t- talked about that on episode 67. Go and check that out for a deeper dive into this. But this has been one of the most controversial things that uh, the government wants to change about the NDIS. So essentially, uh, what they want to do is have NDIS applicants have a a panel of strangers come into their home and watch them do everyday activities and then decide based on that basically how disabled they are. Uh, As opposed to what happens at the moment, which is that people who want to get on the scheme provide evidence from their own doctors and specialists who they've worked with in some cases for a long time and who know their situation inside and out. Um, so this has basically been decried as a very bad idea by the the sector, disabled people, mm-hmm. advocates, uh, you know. Random podcasters. It's just random podcasters. It, it, it's like it's generally accepted by anybody who gives a fuck to be a very bad idea. And the... Uh, like the part in this report, this report that they're using to like justify including this in a uh, change in the NDAS, basically it turns out to have been altered from within the uh, National Disability Insurance Agency in the first place. Right. So, you know, a bunch of just that, that's extremely fucked to begin with. And the other story that I want to get into is possibly even more fucked. And this mm-hmm. is to do with the leaked proposed new legislation surrounding the, the NDIS, which is what yep. you spoke about, Noon, yep. a couple of weeks ago. You focused on mostly what the ableist and racist repercussions would be of certain suggestions, right, right. specifically removing funding, NDIS funding from people in prison or reducing it, yep. um, and removing uh, people with acquired brain injuries and, uh, uh, and fetal alcohol syndrome as well, reducing the funding that they would get. And you went into that, but uh, I want to kind of focus on some... Basically, what I want to get into is uh, the way that this legislation concentrates power in the hands of the minister responsible for the NDIS, taking away uh, the autonomy of the National Disability Insurance Agency um, in general. So uh, I'm getting a lot of information on this from uh, Rick Morton's article in the Saturday paper. He's been reporting on this for a while and i think we've i've used them as a source before yeah, yeah, on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh 
Yeah, let, to set the scene a little bit, um, so Stuart Robert has basically been working on new legislation around the NDAS for he's a while. He's the current minister for the NDAS. He's the current, well, he Oh, so he was. was until this week. Yeah, yeah, now there's until, been a reshuffle. Yeah, until the reshuffle. So that's yep. an interesting kind of extra spanner in the works of this story. A lot yep. of ins, a lot of outs. But basically, yeah, he's been working on reforming the, um, the NDAS legislation and basically, none of the state and territory disability ministers had seen the proposed legislation. They hadn't right. been told pretty much anything about it, despite the fact that states and territories sure. have 50% of the responsibility yeah. for the NDIS. So the first that they heard, heard about it was when it was leaked yeah. publicly. Um, and there's also been another separate leak of a WhatsApp group chat which contains all of the state and federal disability ministers, huh. um, which is how Morton opens his article. Um, just a quick aside, Noon, in your yeah. professional political commentator opinion, uh-huh. all this leaking of uh, reports and yeah. legislation and WhatsApp groups, that's a good thing, right? Unironically, For the yes. government? Un- oh, yeah. for the government. <laughs> oh, for the government. No, 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 no. it's bad that for bodes them. well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I mean... <sighs> leaks are really interesting... Because they're good for the world, I think. Like, mm. as, as, it, like in it's like whistleblowers or whatever. Like, they might not be done for the right reasons all the time or whatever, but they're, they're generally a good thing. But they are also an indication that the people involved in the decision making are very, very unhappy about something. Um, yes, yeah. I would say that it's a sign that things aren't going well. Over the at the NDIS. NDIS. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I'd say that's probably an accurate guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit of political analysis for you. Um, <laughs> things, are go- things are going badly. Things People are bad. Are <laughs> so these state ministers are basically now begging for a copy of the new legislation, which Stuart Roberts says is on draft number 80. Yeah, I think I mentioned that in <laughs> passing the other week, but like, yeah. um, it's such a funny line. He's like, oh, look, this legislation, it's the 79th draft. I don't know why people think this is the important one. I'll release the final <laughs> draft when it's finalized. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll maybe get into the reasons for that later. Uh, but so in the meantime, these uh, state and territory ministers uh, responsible, responsible for disability are working from this fucking leaked copy, which is... Very functional stuff from mm-hmm. the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Noon, we mentioned that uh, Stuart Robert was until recently, uh, aside from being an avid surfer of the internet and also author of terrible books about Jesus, yeah. was also the minister for the NDAS. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. reshuffle just happened. Noon, you're a political commentator. Pop quiz, hotshot. Who's oh, no. the new NDAS minister? Oh no, I literally talked about it last week. Um... I'll give you who a is hint. It? No, oh, oh, I know, I know. It, it was it was the shitty one who's been involved in this Brittany Higgins thing. Who is it? Defense. Mm. Linda, Linda Reynolds. It's Linda Reynolds. You have won the Political Commentator Best Analyst Boy Award. Hell yeah. Uh, I've been hanging for out for that for like a fucking 2021. year and a yeah. half. Yeah, yeah. Finally. Ever the fucking bridesmaid, never the winner of best political analyst boy award. <laughs> That's so good. I'm so bad at I'm so bad at names. I'm really I'm I'm, I'm legitimately more, more proud of remembering that than I should be. Uh. <laughs> I think you did a great job. Thank I you. put it in there because I knew it would be tough for you, and I'm proud of you for getting it. Thanks. Yeah, 
Linda Reynolds, who is still on paid sick leave post the Brittany Higgins incident. Uh. Um, yeah. Uh. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a couple of funny lines from um, Rick Morton about the how the kind of ministerial changeover went uh-huh. um, in the WhatsApp group. Oh, so that is interesting. since the changes were leaked, all the state ministers in the chat were asking Stuart Robert to give them a copy of the legislation. They got no response. The only time that he entered the chat was to say, hey, this isn't my fucking portfolio anymore. I'm leaving the chat. I'm going to add Linda Reynolds to the chat. Linda Reynolds enters the chat and says, hello, I am your new minister for NDIS. Ministers ask her for the legislation. Uh She doesn't reply and hasn't been seen in the chat since. Um, I mean, (laughs) it really uh, paints a picture for you. Ghosting should not be a legitimate parliamentary tactic. Like yeah, we should have I would an arrangement. Say that ghosting is a good description of most of the Liberal Party. Their policy tactics. platform development yeah. process. Like every time Scott opens his mouth, he is ghosting facts. He is nice. ghosting substance. Uh, I I I guess what I mean is like, surely we have a whole lot of like buildings around the country called parliaments specially designed so that decision making doesn't have to happen in whatsapp groups that people can just turn off notifications for and then <laughs> not give people legislation <laughs> like, like i yeah yeah par- parliaments famously bastions of transparency and accountability I, like the fact that the best option for these state and territory ministers is to try and get ghosted on WhatsApp. Like, that is not an adequate infrastructure for decision-making process. I think I covered it before when I said very, very functional stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's Go on kind with the of, story, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of setting the scene a little bit. Okay, well, let's get into some of these changes. So as I said, the main change that... Uh, Rick Morton sort of discusses in his article uh, in the Saturday paper and what I want to focus on as well is this concentration of power in the hands of the minister for the NDIS until recently with Stuart Robert, obviously. So we did discuss this a bit a few weeks ago or possibly months ago now when Stuart Robert did a really fucked interview with some shock jock hack. I feel like it was Ray Hadley maybe where he slurred sex workers uh, for one thing over um, this federal court ruling that a woman's hiring of a sex worker through the NDIS was reasonable and necessary. And so Robert was trying to kind of gin up this fear campaign around, oh my God, people are paying for sex workers with the NDIS. We need stronger rules about this. And he said at the time, very, very clearly, that he was going to try to change the NDIS legislation so that the minister could establish rules around what people could and couldn't access through the scheme. And as I said last time, this is connected with that reasonable and necessary decision. And like, uh, I don't know if you're going to be talking about changes to that reasonable and necessary definition, but... um, Yeah, yeah, I'll be touching on it. As I said, like, the the court decided that it was reasonable and necessary to hire a sex worker. So he does, if he wants to stop people hiring sex workers, he has to change the legislation um, to change the decision-making process about what gets paid for, so... Yeah, exactly, because at the moment it's not in his hands. It's yep. essentially in the hands of the National Disability Insurance Agency, but they themselves spend a lot of time trying to deny people access to things that they have yeah. access to, the NDIS. And so this court case where the NDIA lost, 
um, to this woman who used NDIS funding to access a sex worker is one amongst many cases of uh, the NDIS taking people to court to basically say you can't, you're not allowed to have gotten that thing yep. without with NDIS money. Uh, other stuff, less like personal trainers, you know, at, at, like these kinds of stuff it's like obviously the needs are going to be different for every yeah yeah person that's the whole fucking point of the scheme but anyway so Stuart robert really fucking hates the fact that um the ndia keeps losing these court cases and he hates the fact that he doesn't get a say or at least you know until recently who was the minister who was him yep um so yeah, I mean, basically, this is a really potent combination of like Christian moralizing, ableism, and this uh, capitalist austerity mm. ruthlessness, mm. Uh, where the government basically, you know, gets gets to then set the rules about what the scheme, what the NDAS can be used for, and thereby reducing the scope of the scheme and cutting costs. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about: it's cost cutting shit. And that's the same. It's the it's the same with the independent assessments. Obviously, there is this um, deeply ableist undercurrent of, you know, they hate the idea of disabled people deciding for themselves yeah. what they need. Yeah. They Like, they hate people accessing stuff that improves the quality of their life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I'm not saying that there's purely just a capitalist motive there, but I reckon that that is, um, you know, that's the, the fundamental driver behind these changes. Uh, uh, alongside this kind of like a uh, ideological ableist undercurrent which is uh also strongly present there um and yeah I, I so in this proposed new legislation Stuart roberts has Stuart robert sorry has done exactly what he threatened to do which is uh-huh. give the ndis minister the power to make new rules regarding the ndis as however the minister sees fit uh, including doing exactly what Robert wanted, which is giving them the power to ban stuff that they don't like. Um, the other thing the legislation does is removes the possibility that currently exists for the states to veto major changes to the right. NDAS. Wow. So the federal government is now going to have unilateral power through the NDAS minister right. to make these decisions. Um, the other really fucked change in this proposed legislation uh-huh. is an expanded debt recovery power where basically the NDIA is going to be able to send debt notices to people who have accessed things through the NDIS that are then deemed against the rule. So in the case of this woman who used NDIS money to access a sex worker, for example, they they go to court or there's a hearing, it's decided that it wasn't legitimate use of the money, and now the NDIA can send debt collectors after this woman. Um, Oh yeah, the disabled, the people who are living on... NDIS funding. They're, they've got lots of money to recuperate those debts. I, well, I'm i sure it wouldn't destroy their lives and result in a lot of people going to prison or, or killing themselves like in, like the robo-debt. I imagine it'll be yeah. fine. Pro- yeah, pro- no negative consequences there. I mean, the point that you're missing here, Noon, is that that was never their money in the first place. Mm-hmm. And disabled people should be grateful for whatever we give them and we're going to tell them how to use what we give them because mm-hmm. that's our right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a quote here from Rick Morton. In effect, the agency could raise a debt on an individual if they spent their NDIS funding on, quote, ordinary living expenses or on a service or support the Commonwealth Minister decides should have been funded by a state or territory government. Yep. These decisions would be entirely arbitrary. So it's not just whether they, you know, it's stuff that they don't like. It's Stuart Robert or the NDIS Minister being like, uh, 
uh, that is something that uh, the federal government shouldn't have had to pay for. That's a state territory issue. Uh, but of course, they've taken away the power of states and territories to veto changes to the mm-hmm. NDAS in the first place. So, yeah. Um, uh, as, as a part of this debt recovery plan, the government is planning to create infrastructure to help it surveil NDIS mm-hmm. participants because obviously that's a crucial element in controlling people's behavior. Um, so, you know, they're planning on basically creating these ways to find out what disabled people are spending their money on. Apparently, there's an app coming down the line which will help the government track participant spending. Very fucked stuff. Um, just the amount of times you see completely irrelevant or incorrect deployments of analogies to 1984, like on social media and uh-huh. in the news, often people being cancel culture. This is just what George Orwell warned us about. Nah, the government creating a fucking app to track what disabled people spend their money on. That's, that's what he was warning us about. A, that's quite a bit more 1984 yeah, yeah. than fucking getting fired for posting racist shit on Facebook. Anyway, um, there was also another interesting uh, segment in this story that I thought uh, you'd be interested in, Noon. Uh, where Morton goes into a little bit more detail on this reasonable and necessary Mm -hmm. stuff that you mentioned. So at the time, uh, when this legislation was first leaked, it was reported that the proposed changes uh, to the legislation remove the whole section of the legislation which contains the whole Uh like reasonable and necessary clause. Sure. But then Stuart Robert himself said that the term, you know, was not being removed from the legislation. Yeah, Yeah, and you mentioned that at the time. Now... In fact, what Stuart Roberts said was different. He said that the changes did, quote, not extend to removing the term reasonable and necessary from NDIS legislation. Uh That's different. And Morton argues that it's a very important semantic difference. Got another quote from him here. The term will likely remain in the legislation, but not as a descriptor for what participants should receive in terms of support. Now the term reasonable and necessary will describe a participant budget. The difference is subtle, but the latter places more emphasis on the financial metrics of the NDIS and, according to legal sources, would allow rationing of support without an avenue for legal challenge. So I haven't really gotten into it here, but this legislation is also going to change basically the way that budgeting is structured within the NDIS. Um, and so reasonable and necessary is now going to have, or at least what Morton is theorizing and, you know, his late legal sources is that reasonable and necessary is not going to be about, you know, it's not a quality of life question so much as a financial question now. So, you know, Stuart Robert can truthfully ish say, mm-hmm. we're not removing the term from the legislation. We're just, we're just subtly applying going to change it its in a way that's going to make things worse for disabled people. Exactly. So, to sum up, uh, oh, I didn't even, uh, I didn't think I mentioned the fucking survey either, which is another story Hmm. Um, that came out that um, the uh, NDIS published this, uh, like, research, which basically showed that there was a huge amount of community support for independent assessments, Mm -hmm. and then when they broke down the numbers, it turned out that that actually only uh, surveyed 35 That's actual right. yeah, disabled yeah, yeah. people 
everybody else uh, was carers and the study was very uh, small to begin with. So here's the shape of the whole thing. The government fakes community support for changes to the NDAS using dodgy surveys and uh, like inserting what they want to happen into supposedly independent reports. Uh Then they write new legislation in secret without consultation with disabled people or the state governments who Mm -hmm. are responsible for half of the NDIS. And this new legislation gives the minister power to change anything they want with no opposition, puts the financial onus on disabled people for accessing things that the government doesn't like, enabling the NDIA to send debt collectors Mm -hmm. after them, and also shuts down avenues of legal dispute to NDIS participants. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect little circle there. Very, uh, as I said, very functional government. So interesting timing that Robert did all this before getting sort of shunted out of the ministry. Mm. Uh, uh, no, what am I trying to say here? The ministership, the portfolio, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, Um, Which, yeah, I guess tells us that, like, even though he has been the person spearheading this stuff, that this isn't, you know, just like a personal project for him. This is a fucking government project. Undermining of the NDIS is one of the major projects of a, li- of a liberal government. Um, and Robert was the messenger. Linda Reynolds will be the new one. Here's the, um, uh, the Chekhov uh, devil's advocate thing. Is, is this it? Is that you're like, actually, they do have a legislative agenda, which is you to brought ruin it back NDIS. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what, it's actually one of the major things that they want to do. And the reason, <laughs> part of the reason why this is all happening so fucking secretly, no consultation, mm. you know, no communication with state ministers is that the government wants this done and out of the way before the election. Because this is, you know, like most of the stuff that they're actually really keen on doing, they just pull the strings to make it happen behind the scenes as privately as possible. Don't make a big deal out of it. Like, publicly. You know, they're trying to constantly tamp down any kind Mm. of public discussion of this issue. Whenever Stuart Rubber comes out, he's always running those lines that you mentioned earlier. This is draft legislation. You know, X, Y, Z is not going to change. Relax. It's all cool. Um, basically, yeah, they, like, they're just rushing this through, trying to wrap it all up behind the scenes so that there, there is no public scrutiny yep. and so it doesn't become an election issue. Um, so, yeah, I would argue that the government does have a strong legislative agenda. They just deliberately obfuscate it. Mm. Um, and this kind of legislative change, like... The, having the votes on the parliament floor is probably going to be much less crucial than something that has a bunch of public debate. If people don't sure. understand the issue, if Labour feels like they can't take any kind of stand on this, then you know whether or not he's got that outright majority in the first place is probably going to have less of an impact. Mm. Shorten has come out with some criticism of these proposed changes, uh, which is like good, but who's like that doesn't fucking mean anything in terms of material political opposition yeah so you know now that some of this stuff is getting aired a little bit more it's possible that it may get a little bit more like public political debate at least in parliament but i'm not holding my breath over it Mm. um yeah it's it's really like i think that you could argue that this is ultimately one of the main projects of Morrison's government mm-hmm. um, is undermining the Well, NDIS. yeah, I mean, it's, it's been one of the projects ever since, like, Tony Abbott got in, right? They, they hate the NDIS because yeah. it's structural spending and because it's welfare and because it helps disabled people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the trifecta. 
yeah, so uh, that's what's happening with the NDIS. Um, that story will definitely keep developing. Um, dunno, dunno. Feel pretty angry about it. Yeah, it's upsetting it's not, stuff. It's not good. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right. Is that going to do us for our stories this week, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, um, you can support us financially. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash ozpolsnackpod. And for one US dollar a month, you get a monthly bonus episode. We're planning on doing two this month, but uh, we'll see. Um, you also get access to our Discord. And if you donate higher amounts, then you can uh, uh, like request uh, topics for bonus episodes. And you get a cool little uh, enamel toast pin in the mail. Uh, sometime before 2023 so go check that out also <laughs> please share idea. us share us on facebook share us on twitter we, we post every week with our episodes we also shit post so like yeah um share us on social yeah and uh leave us a little review over on apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah please do that listen and you haven't done we haven't yet, had one for a while yet yeah we we love those they're very helpful for us um they make line go up which is mm-hmm. uh what we enjoy over yep. here it's all about Pulse the gdp hmm. yeah um Alright, that's probably it for the business end. Now it's time for a pop game. Uh, so, Noon, I mentioned I actually I Chekhov'd dogged. Yeah, uh, you've been Chekhoving this whole fucking I've been Chekhoving episode. it all the way through. Yeah, this it's structure, it's narrative structure, and bringing it back around. You could be a full playwright. Circles. I mentioned that, <laughs> thank you, a dramaturg, um, please. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned that I'm recording in my dining room. Not uh, upstairs in my little computer room where I normally record because uh, there were some steam cleaners up there earlier today, steam cleaning the carpets. And I'm not allowed to step on the carpets because I'm steam cleaning something, something. Yeah. And the reason we had a steam cleaning, people come and steam clean the carpets is because the carpets had all vomit on them amongst um, other things because Dante had a really big vomit night uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now, I wasn't actually here you know, I've been away on yeah, family yeah. business, and I was away on family business, and then I got a call from Holly. Well, actually, I woke up, and I had a bunch of missed calls oh, from no. Holly from, and, and like the small hours of the morning. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Well, both of them. And then sucks. it turned out that, um, yeah, she'd been woken up by Dante Loudly vomiting bombing. on our bed. Oh. Um, oh, yeah, so he, he vomited on, in, on the carpet in two different rooms. He vomited on an armchair, and he oh, vomited no. multiple times on our bed to the extent that it like leaked through... Oh. Duna sheet and into the mattress. Gross. So it's like, <laughs> is he all right? He's fine. We don't know what. Ha- like you know, he's a big Labrador eating disgusting things on a walk kind of guy. Yeah. Before you really have a chance to know what they are, and often it'll just be a pile of feces, and yeah. you're like, okay, you know, eating. It's poo, probably not a great right. decision, but sure. No, it's not. Um. And I think possibly in this case, some of the uh, literal shit that he ate disagreed with him. I don't know <laughs> what it was. Fair enough. Anyway, he got it out of his system and he's fine now. Okay, um, good, good. He, but, um, and now we're getting the carpet steam cleaned and I'm um, looking into replacing our mattress. Uh, but that's what Dante's been up to this week. Um, he's a very expensive house guest. Very good. Moral of the story. Uh, I just bought him a bunch of new toys as well, which he is stubbornly refusing not to... To play with at all. That's very funny. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's my pub date. Um, yeah, bagels beat all right. Uh, you know, I've been talking a lot about the training we've been doing, and just this morning we were out like looking at dogs at the dog park. We walk around the outside, and dogs come over and look at us, and Bagel looks at them, and I give him disgusting treats to 
you know, make him feel okay about it. Uh, and today he just like went over to the gate of the dog park and like sat down and like would not move away from it. He clearly really wants to go in, but also I just like, there's a like, maybe not a hundred percent, but a good like 98% chance that as soon as he encounters another dog without a fence between them, he's just going to like snarl and try and bite him. So I'm like, Mm. I really appreciate the good vibes that you're putting out here, Bagel. (laughs) I would love to take you in there and let you hang out with the dogs don't want you to murder anyone so not yeah, not going to yeah. happen yeah so but anyway that's it's promising it's a good sign it's, he's he, he it's, wants to, he it's wants very to try promising it. that's heading that's definitely heading in the right direction yeah 100% well done bagel yeah always good to hear about good bagel vibes he's a good boy all right. Uh, all right. Well, that'll, that'll that'll probably do us for this week. Thank you very much everybody for tuning in um to this early in the week recording. Yeah, hopefully all of our stories haven't been completely invalidated by new developments. Oh, jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe so. Uh, I reckon there's probably going to be developments on this um, Nazi bomb guy. Probably Mm -hmm. we'll get... Because that's that's very fresh at this stage, a a time of recording, so there's probably more info about that now. Um, All right. Yeah, otherwise, take it easy. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. And in the meantime... Keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck Stuart Robert, Crunch Crunch. Fuck that guy.